Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is 30 something with Sunny and we talk all about motherhood, self-care and second chapters. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this week's episode because listen, we need a little levity in our lives these days. We need something that's not so serious. We need to just break from the anxiety for a minute because I know a lot of you guys are back at school and it's a total circus and some of you others are about to send your kids back to school in person or virtually. So you know what we have today for you? We have a virtual sip of cool lemonade. We got a little Aperol spritz, a little wine in a box, whatever your beverage of choice may be. It's just a little break from reality. Steve Helling is the guy we are talking to today. He is a senior crime reporter at People.com, but he also covers everything that's related to the entertainment world working for people. So he, you're going to see his name everywhere if you go to People.com, but he's also the host of Murder Made Me Famous, Scandal Made Me Famous, and an upcoming show with Ashley Banfield that you are going to hear all about in this interview. So we keep it light. Actually, we do get a little intense at some points, but listen, that's just the nature of the game. I love getting deep a little bit here and there. But uh, we talk about royal gossip, celebrity gossip, the craziest celebrity encounters he's ever had. Uh, We talk about the Casey Anthony trial, which he um, covered very heavily here in the Orlando area, and all of the other crazy crime stories that he spent time reporting on um, during his tenure as a member of the People.com staff. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I will be back on the flip side, as always, to tell you more about where to follow him and uh, catch his new shows. Enjoy. Okay. Can you hear me still? I can. Can you hear Uh, me? Yeah, I can hear you. Steve, thank you again. I just was like, Steve and I were talking right before we started recording. Um, Steve's like big time, and I have followed your work unknowingly uh, that you were in the Orlando area for years when I was still (laughs) working TV, and I was like, oh my God, this guy's like in this area. I got to find a way to meet up with him. But um, thank you so much for coming no on and talking with me. No yeah, you, um, gosh, I don't even like know how to introduce you because your work in journalism has covered like so many different fields, like real crime, true crime, celebrity gossip. I mean, like everything that people.com kind of covers, you have your hands in, right? Correct. I guess the way I normally uh, introduce myself is I say, you know, I'm, a, I'm the senior writer at People Magazine. I've been there for 20 years. Um, and so I've been doing that. And then I also am a TV host. My, uh, my first TV show was Murder Made Me Famous, which lasted for seven seasons. There was a spinoff called Scandal Made Me Famous. Same show, nobody died. Uh, that was four <laughs> spoiler alert. No, that's a good spoiler, but yes. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, and then of course, um, you know, now I'm doing, I just filmed, um, nine episodes of a new show that will be on the on um, court tv oh tell um, me more what's the name of it can you tell us yes i sure can um if you know who ashley banfield is i'm working yes. with her okay and the show is called justice with ashley banfield because she's the one with the name mm-hmm. um and so yeah i have been um uh, doing commentary for that um for the for i did i just did nine episodes and i have six more to do so life is busy Life is busy, and I know it's not like calm for you either, because you have you have four or five kids. I actually have six children. What? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm never complaining again about the noise from three. What? You know what? It's not as it's not quite as awful as it sounds. Because um, <laughs> spoken like a true parent, we don't mean awful like that. No, we mean awful no. like ball bustingly I crazy mean, every day. Back to, I mean, 
five years ago was tough. Uh, no, seven years ago was tough because um, so they're all very close in age. Right now, the youngest one is about to turn 10 and the oldest one is 14. So that's great. But if we go back seven years when, you know, I had you know, six kids between the ages of two and seven, that was, that was, that was right. That's intense. That's really a period too. And you would think, you know, technically a two, they're out of diapers, but like this, and I don't understand this either until I got into it myself, that two to seven, which kind of spans our kids were three, five, and seven. They're, they're still so rapidly changing. So even though you're not picking up and carrying them everywhere, they're like developing personalities, sometimes attitudes, they have different needs and they're all so different, right? Like don't you have to deal with them in different ways? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, if I had my six kids here, I would be like, okay, she's the funny one. And he's the one who's the, well, actually they're all, they're all, they've all got a really good sense of humor, but there are, there's one who's quick on her feet. That's awesome. The one who's quick on her feet. And this is the studious one. This is the one who's going to make a zillion dollars and support us all or mm-hmm. own us all, one or the other. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I can point out all the kids and all the, all the things that they've got, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And, you know, the um, way it worked was that, my ex and I had two uh, biological kids mm-hmm. and then we adopted uh, four more from Haiti um, all at the same time. All so at we, once. Wow. We, and how old were they, they when you adopted them and how old were your biological kids too? Sure. Well, when we first started, my oldest, when we started the process, my oldest daughter was four and my, my daughter was four and my son was two. Uh, it took a couple of years. So by the time we brought them home, let's say it was three years later. So my daughter was seven and my son was five. So, and then we were adopting kids that were younger than that. So it was, it was, a, it was a lot. Um, and so, yes, um, I said my ex, you know, my, I was married for 25 years. I, I know I look way too I was going to say, you look, you do not, and I'm saying that in all earnest, is you do not look like you. I do not look 50 That old. No, you don't. <laughs> not that that's old, but you know what I mean. No, well, <laughs> It felt it on my 50th birthday, I'll tell you that. Um, but we are co-parenting the kids. Okay. Um, and so that actually has been a godsend during quarantine. Because just when I get lonely, and just when I'm like, oh, I miss people, the kids show up. Your and house just, fills I, up again. Exactly. And just when I'm like, oh my, I, they have to leave. They have to go. They leave. I'm serious. It's a lot. I really feel like there, you know, it's a test of sanity daily. And I don't say that lightly. We hear these conversations about mental health being an issue during lockdown. And when you have other people to care for too, it's just like, um, yeah, that's a lot. So you guys are, are you consciously uncoupled like Gwyneth and Chris Martin? Yes, we are. I mean, you know, um, it was, it, it was the right move at the time. Um, and so, that doesn't mean it was painless. It doesn't mean yeah. it was easy. Um, and, you know, I still obviously have great love for her. She was the mother of my children. She is the mother of my children. Uh, we gave each other, we got together when I was 21 and she was 19. Mm-hmm. So we gave each other our 20s, our 30s, and much of our 40s. That is Can- a lot. Can we get personal? And of course, if this is like, you know, I don't know how private or public of a person your ex is, but I just find this fascinating because I'm at a stage, my friends are at a stage now where we're beyond the baby days. We're in the muck mm-hmm. of parenting. Like how, how, why do you think some couples make it through and some couples decide it's best 
to go their mm-hmm. separate ways. Cause like you said, no matter how great of a vibe you can co-parent, it's still, there's still pain associated with that. And I know so many yeah. women who are like, you know, I don't know if this marriage is for me. And so anyway, what do you think about that? Why do some make I it? Mean, you know, it, it has to do with the two people involved and the situation, you know, the environment that they're in. Um, you know, I can say, and, and my, um, she was very private and I was very public, as you mm-hmm. know, I have a very public job and persona and I'm all over social media and it's a thing. Um, and that was a stress. That certainly right. was definitely a stress. Right. I um, acknowledge fully that I have no picnic sometimes to be married to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any of you who want to marry me, just so you know, um, I can be difficult. Um, you know, I would say um, sometimes you just go through it and you just say like, you know, it's time to call it. It's time to, you know, to, to end it. And that is something that is a very personal decision between right. a, a, a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Everybody likes to weigh in on, oh, I think they should have, or he should have, or she should have, everything. And it was a very difficult decision for us, especially with the, with the kids. But it was also um, something that I th- think, I think when you decide it's that you're going to split up, it can still be done respectfully. It can mm-hmm. still be done. And, and she is very, very, very good at, at this part. You know, she, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can do it respectfully. You can do it kindly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 my heart always goes out to anybody whose marriage splits up because that is a difficult, difficult thing. But I think there are some where things go even more nuclear than they need to. Right. Um, you know, where you're hiring a lawyer to, and paying the lawyer $500 an hour to argue over $100 chairs. Um, you know, and it fortunately, is- we didn't have to go that route. You know? That's great. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Well, I, I'm sorry for that left turn. I, I was yeah. like, Steve, let's talk lighthearted stuff. Now let's get right into ah, I can't help it. Sorry. So many questions. Um, but I did bring you on because, gosh, like I said, the scope of your work is so fascinating because your focus a lot of time, like you said, is on true crime and the very dramatic events that happen in real life, but people also covers and is known for their celebrity coverage and all the lighthearted stuff that frankly, I just feel like we are all in need of a big, big dose of right now. So, um, so let's start there. I want to get your thoughts, Steve, on the Royal, the, the Royal biography that just came out on, um, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Did you read it? I'm like in the middle of it right now. I have not read it yet. It's on my to-do list, um, along with a million other books. Um, but Give us Royal yeah. Insider Scoop. Do you, like, what is the real story here? You have to have some channels. Like, well, okay. Let, let me give you my credentials before I give you the scoop. Okay. So my credentials were that in 2011, um, in April of 2011, I went to London. And I was there for Will and Kate's wedding. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that was uh, the assignment of a lifetime. I bet. I used to be able to go on TV and be like, yes, I got an email from the palace and they said, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that was fun. That's Um, cool. (laughs) So yes, I mean, I, um, I was never a Royal watcher other than that this became my job to do. And, um, you know, I would, I know it sounds wonderful to, I'm going to marry the prince and I'm going to live happily ever after. And it's a very difficult way. Tell us what we don't know as Americans though, because I, I think that that fairy tale holds up because the, the dialogue that we've been fed through movies and media yeah. and even our own dreams has been so like sparkly and pretty and easy. And clearly it's not that. No, it's very, very difficult actually. There's a lot of, 
Um, there are a lot of rules. If you marry into the royal family, you there are rules about what you can wear. There are rules about what you can say publicly. There are rules about everything, mm -hmm. where you can go. When you have your babies, what is the baby's name going to be? You, it, you have a short list of names that you can name the baby. You are not naming that baby Penelope. You're just mm -hmm. not. You're not allowed to. So what, you know, whatever you want, you know, normally, it, you know, if you marry somebody in real life, you and your husband or wife decides, I'm going to live here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you don't get that. At the, you know, it was a thing when Meghan and Harry decided that they were going to step away from all their royal duties. That doesn't normally happen. Were you so, surprised by that based on what you yeah. knew of them? No. Tell yeah. me why. Well, you know, Harry has always um, had a problematic relationship with his responsibilities that he's had to have. Uh, and I don't even mean that, I'm not even talking about a rebellious type of way. You have to realize that Harry was very young when his mother died. And he is smart enough to realize that, you know, she was deeply unhappy there near the end. And, you know, he was very young at the time, but he understands that this, you know, this establishment isn't for everybody. And he's very much like his mother in that way. So I kind of knew that he was, you know, he wasn't loving. I mean, he has, Harry has no desire whatsoever to become the king. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he doesn't want to even be, you know, he, so he was ready to, to move off. And then Megan marries into the family. And he's, of course, madly in love with Megan. And he's starting to see, he was starting to see a lot of the same um, pressures on his wife that had been on his mother, you know, 30, yeah, 30 years ago. So he was ready to. He was ready to pull the plug anyway. But here's my question though. I mean, and saying this obviously as a person without the sort of cultural understanding that comes along with being British and, you know, we as Americans kind of are viewing this through an extra lens, but do you think he would have left anyway, or if he had wet someone who was more accustomed to the, the, um, understanding the protocol of the royal family, there was a chance he could have stayed? Or was this inevitable just based on what you knew about his personality? I, I think it was inevitable, but he would have needed a push. He would have needed somebody who was ready to, to mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's this, this thing brewing in your head and you need a, a spark to get it started. And, you know, Megan was the spark for him. And really seeing, you know, what she was dealing with, especially with the, the British tabloids have been, have been brutal. Uh, what is your candid opinion on whether or not they were harder on her versus Kate or any other force or figure in the royal family? They were definitely harder on her than they were on Kate. That's there's no question in the world on that one. Um, you know, you can look at it. All you have to do is get the uh, side by side the um, coverage of their pregnancies, mm -hmm. and you know, Kate is is described as glowing and and happy and you know the mother to be and you know uh, Megan was described as dowdy and gaining weight and just uh miserable they you know the the, the same picture Kate versus um versus Megan could be described very differently in the British tabloids they were really really cruel to Megan and you know that's at a time where she's um, pregnant, where she's already all over the place emotionally, and then the tabloids are saying their things as well. Mm -hmm. So it was tough for her.
Yeah, I think, um, like you said, you kind of miss it unless you're living in that world. People are like, but was she really treated? But when you put it that way, I guess, if you kind of held things up sort of next to each other, um, you can understand why, why it was so hard for her to ever really fully integrate, which, which they clearly did. Do you think they ever go back at this point? Like come like tail tucked between their legs or do you think it's going to last in Cali? That doesn't seem like a hairy way to do things. Yeah. Did you ever have any like crazy stories? I know you said your, this wasn't your beat per se, but you were at the, at the first Royal wedding and you kind of got a sense of maybe some behind the scenes moments. Does anything like stand out to you that really gave you an idea of some of their personalities, any of them? Yeah, sure. The week before um, the wedding, you know, Will and Kate are doing their thing. They're doing the rehearsals. They're doing their fittings. They're doing all the things that you would imagine that they're doing. And every night I had a friend who was working um, for one of the British newspapers who was always, um, this was 2011, so I don't even think he was texting me. I think he was calling me. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I remember him calling me and saying, okay, Harry's at a pub. This is the pub he's at. And so I would go and I would, uh, you, I could, would normally see Harry leaving the pub, not mm-hmm. drunk or anything, but you know, Harry was not about to spend the week before his brother's wedding, spending it all you know, laced up. He was going to go have fun. And Be himself, right? He did. And he had a lot of fun. And I've got to say that as assignments go, following Harry around the pubs of London is not a bad assignment. Yeah. Like what, what was it like when you were seeing from afar, how people were treating him or flocking to him? Like, what was it like sort of from a bird's eye perspective? You know, I think he's so used to being the center of the attention. Um, You know, it's funny. I always said this, it wasn't until that wedding where I thought I, I was looking at him at one point and thinking, do you remember when it was like, oh, handsome William and his funny looking redhead brother? Well, it's changed. Like <laughs> It has. Harry has had a come up. I am happy for well, him. Oh, no, he's a good looking guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he's very magnetic. And you know, right. I, of course, never talked. I wasn't allowed to talk to him. But, you know, just seeing him and, and, and seeing how he moved, how comfortable he was. And, and I would have to do the math to think how old he was nine years ago. But he was very comfortable and very independent you know, in 2011. And that's just developed even more over the last few years. Yeah, it's just so interesting as an American, especially as an American woman following, like you said, the treatment of the women in the press and how they were viewed and how they were in some cases skewered. And we were all just really rooting for like one of our girls to like make it in the pigs, you know, like stick in there. But maybe their happy ending is back on familiar territory here, but it really does illustrate the difference of our cultures that's shocking to me it's it's modern times but clearly we as americans still have um a completely different understanding of that type of protocol right absolutely um you know i i I would not wish you know everybody's like oh wouldn't it be great you know i have kids i don't want any of my daughters or sons to marry into the royal family not that i I mean i think they're good people i just think the rules are too much and i have not raised my children very well to put up with those rules. I can't Good imagine, for you. I cannot imagine, especially my oldest daughter being like her, her being like, you want me to wear what? No. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny though. I mean, especially like it, there is such a vast cultural difference and we have this reputation in the world as being, you know, especially women, the, the, an outspoken culture and, you know, our clothing is more revealing. I mean, everything, but it was just, um, 
I don't know. It was just cool to see one of ours, you know, like one of our girls kind of thrust on the yeah. world stage like that. And it was great to see a biracial. You Absolutely. Know, you know, it was great to see a little change in the, in the, in the Royal family. That's yeah. Sure. What has been another big celebrity storyline or, and, and we're going to get into true crime and all that stuff later. Cause I know you covered Casey Anthony very oh, heavily, okay. Tiger Woods, all that yeah. stuff. But I want to like kind of dive in on the good celebrity gossip first. Anything okay. else that's happening? Well, why don't, you know, it would be, I don't want this podcast to end up being dated in six months or anything. No, so it's going on next week, my friend. So no, I know, but what I'm saying, <laughs> somebody who finds it six months from now, oh, I don't want I to see. So I got, I got, I got you. This okay. So when you work for People Magazine, you get a lot of interaction with different celebrities and you get it both um under cooperation situations and under no cooperation situations. So, you know, generally speaking, most of the celebrity interviews I've done have been set up with a publicist. I go to somebody's house, you know, so um, my claims to fame are things like, I'm the only reporter who's ever been in Usher's home. You know, he, I spent the day there. That's cool. There's a picture of it on my Instagram somewhere. Um, you know, that was fun. You know, I, I red carpets, premieres, things like that. Sometimes though, and this is the part that, of celebrity journalism that people don't know, it's, it's halfway cooperation. Yeah. The publicist says, okay, we wanna break some news with you, but we don't want it to look like we broke the news from you, with you. So we want, you were going to kind of give you some breadcrumbs. You'll figure it out. We'll confirm it then. And then you can run the story. And so my best story along those lines is a throwback. Uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Oh my gosh. Huge. So here's the deal. I guess what it was, 2007, um, maybe 2006, whatever it was. Um, It was, uh, yeah, it was 2007. Brad had left Jennifer Aniston for, for, um, for Angelina Jolie. There's no other way to put it. Still and gets he, me right here, Steve. Yeah. Oh. Angelina Jolie was the other woman, Brad, who Brad met at work on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He left his wife for her. They're like, that's what happened. Right, right. But obviously that's not the story that, that you know, the publicists want to be out there. Brad and Angelina's publicists wanted to be out there. So what they wanted, you know, and then if that wasn't enough, Angelina surprisingly gets pregnant. So she's pregnant now and they're faced with the, you know, the world is still reeling from Brad and Jennifer breaking up. And so they're trying to figure, the publicists are trying to figure out how are we going to break the news of this pregnancy? Because we have to break that news. Mm. How are we going to do it? So Brad and Angelina were doing some charity work down in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. And so I got, um, I heard from the publicist, you know, we would like you to come down. You can shadow them. You can write about the charity work that they're doing. You may not interview Brad or Angelina, but you can report on, you can interview everybody who they talk to, you know, we'll help you do this. So you already know something's fishy. This is, this is weird, but you know, when Brad and Angelina tell you to go to the Dominican Republic, you go to the Dominican Republic. So I, you know, fly down there. And so I'm kind of embedded with this group that's, like their publicists, their handlers, their security, and then there's me. And I'm not allowed to talk to them, uh, to Brad and Angelina, but they would go talk to somebody. And then as they're moving away, I would go talk to that person. So I don't know who's 
this is like this is like a bad episode of the amazing race <laughs> so i'm trying to figure out what's there's something here that they want me to to know the first day goes by i can't figure it out the second day angelina shows up and she we're staying in the same hotel by the way mm -hmm. um different i'm sure their room was nicer uh, <laughs> she shows up in a tank top that's really tight around the midriff and i looked at it in the morning i'm like huh okay okay well you know my she just kind of like parade past you yeah, in the buffet line or something like, okay there's something's going on here so we go back out and they're talking to all these people in, in these, you know, these basically under, you know, we're in these really rough sections. And then the publicist is like, hey, Steve, go over there and talk to that woman. Because they just talked to a woman. A woman who incidentally didn't speak much English. So I go over and I, I sit down and talk to the woman. And she says to me, first thing, she's like, she's pregnant. She just told me she's pregnant. I look at the publicist and the publicist is like, oh my gosh. Okay, that's why I'm here. We're gonna break the pregnancy news, but they don't want us to break, they don't want Angelina saying, I'm pregnant. They want they, you to have discovered it. You know, People Magazine just wouldn't give them a moment's peace. And we went down there and followed them and figured it out. Fine, whatever. I mean, there's part of me that's like, I am not playing this game. And then there's probably it's like, oh, I just got an exclusive. <laughs> I have to hop in because this is so interesting to me as a former member of the official press and now mm -hmm. doing my own thing. Like, so what are number one, are celebrities that self-involved that and their publicists, that the world, that's just their world, even though it seems pointless for them to drag you halfway across the hemisphere to tell you this when they could have save that energy and time. And also like, aren't you kind of like, you know, I, I'm a respected journalist who covers other things too. Like shoot me straight. Like I give you good coverage if you would just not play this game with me. Yes and no, the game, the game is fun when it's celebrities and it doesn't really matter. Right, um, that's true. You know, we, um, when Jennifer Lopez got married the second time, they did the same, her publicist did the same thing that was basically like, oh, you know, we're, they, they sent us this little release that they're like, we don't want you to ruin their special day. So we're gonna give you a little bit of information beforehand. So you know, so you can pre-write some things. So, you know, that happens. So they give us, you know, the designer and all that type of thing, which, mm -hmm. which is very standard. But then they're like, yes, the wedding is gonna be at such and such of a place at such and such of a time. And we're really worried because, you know, you can get a really good long lens photo if you are across the valley at this place. And so we're really worried that the paparazzi is going to figure that out. Oh my God, <laughs> your okay. face right now. Yeah, I mean like, see, this is the game. It seems like it would be exhausting to play. Like I get why you prefer true crime over Hollywood <laughs> after hearing this kind of stuff. This is, this is a great um, diversion sometimes. Yeah, that's true. True that's crime true. can be very dark. Yeah, and that's true. So it's very fun sometimes to, to you know, have these, um, these experiences. And you know what, look, when people ask me, when someday I, you know, I'm writing my memoirs when I'm 75 years old and people ask like, what were the, the high points? Some of the high points are celebrity things. Right, right. Um, usually it's when the celebrity is really cooperative though. Mm -hmm. um, and certain celebrities are more cooperative than others. 
years. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, give us an example. Let's do a lightning round, like least cooperative, most painful interview experience ever. Least cooperative celebrity I ever dealt with was Sharon Stone. Tell me Um, why. Second least cooperative was Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. That Uh, surprises me. Yeah, it was at the height of everything. Um, uh, Most painful interview I ever had to do was with Owen Wilson, um, only because he wasn't rude. He didn't like yell at me or anything like that. But I would ask a question and it was almost like he would answer, but it felt like there was like a five second delay, even though we're sitting in the same room. It just, we didn't connect. And that happens. You don't connect with everybody. Um, You know, I don't think he wanted to do the interview. So there was that. I had one that I cannot name the person. Give us clues. But (laughs) he was so angry at one of my questions and I was at his house. I'll tell you off there. Okay. Um, uh, but he was so angry and I was, we were sitting at his dining room table and I was sitting like with my back against the wall, kind of closer to the corner. And he hated one of the questions that I asked. And so after the, we got through the interview, it was fine. And when I stood up to leave, he kind of blocked my exit and got right up in my face and like puffed his chest out. He's like, you know, I don't know what you're trying to do. And I was really scared. I really was. It was the only time I've ever been scared just because this was somebody who had just had a breakdown and it was a thing that he'd had a breakdown and he'd gotten in trouble. And, and so I was like, oh my goodness. But generally speaking, those are so few and far between that those, those things happen. Usually by the time I'm sitting at their dining room table, everything is wonderful. Um, right. You know, um, <clears throat> The Rock has always been wonderful to me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that, that kind of matches up with, I'm happy to hear that, matches with his vibe oh, yeah. that he puts out. Okay. Um, he, my kids are the coolest kids in school because a couple of years ago, you know, I kind of will text his publicist and be like, hey, I'm going to tweet something at him. You know, can you tweet back, whatever. Um, and so we went to see Moana and I took a picture, you know, by the poster. You know, now they have posters in the movie theaters. I don't know if you remember. It's been a long time since. Uh, we've been yes. No. 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 I am a, a movie theater child. I'm going to be forty in a year and a half. So. <laughs> we took a picture by the Moana poster, and I tweeted it and said something like, "I'm trying to convince the, trying to convince my kids that The Rock is their uncle or something like you know it was just a thing." And so he retweeted my picture, and then commented, "Tell them that Uncle Rock approves." Hope you, you're doing well, brother. It was just really nice. And so my kids were like, we're Uncle Rock. We can call him, they still, to this day, when we're trying to choose something to watch, they're, and they're like, oh, Uncle Rock's in that one. Oh, that's um, so cool. And so like three years later, I, re- I I was like, I did a memory, like three years ago, this happened. And The Rock was like, oh yes, the legend of, he retweeted it again, the legend of Uncle Rock and everything. <laughs> my kids are just like, so of course they can go to school and they can be like, we're allowed to call him Uncle Rock, which, you know, it's a thing. And, that uh, is so fun. That so, makes me smile, truly. He's like, he seems like a chill guy. Fantastic. Dolly Parton was fantastic. Um, Dolly Parton is one that I would say, when you interview her, you're never, she's been doing this since before I was born. You know, you're not going to become her best friend. That's not why, you know, she's very, prof- she's a, a pro, but she is warm and friendly. And, you know, she, um, she certainly has an air about her. Um, one of the best things is when I interviewed her, 
Oh, well, it's not the best thing. Glenn Campbell was doing poorly and was it looked like he was, you know, going to pass away. And so we were asking country stars, could you sing a couple bars of Rhinestone Cowboy for us? And I have this on video. Um, so I asked Dolly, you know, this is kind of weird, but I printed out the words to Rhinestone Cowboy. Will you sing a couple lines for it? And she's like, I don't need the words. You know, I didn't know. So, she's, so she sat there and she's just, so we're sitting like, you know, three feet from each other. And she looked me in the eye the whole time because the camera's right here. And she sang the whole song to me. Oh, that is so cool. Part of me that I'm like, Dolly Parton is singing right. Who has Dolly Parton sing a whole song? That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, that seems like, again, like she projects that love and sweetness. I think the older the celebrity is, um, the more, well, let's say the longer they've been at the game, mm-hmm. the better they are at it. You know, um, when people say who was really great with you, I'll say people like, you know, John Travolta, Gloria Estefan, people who are, you know, they're not 25 anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the interesting thing is the younger ones sometimes want to kind of be like, now we're friends and it, which fine with me, I'll be, I'll be friends with celebrities, but you know, the older ones kind of, they became famous at a different time mm-hmm. where there wasn't the social media, there wasn't 24 hour celebrity coverage. You know, being in People Magazine was pretty much what, you know, you did, you were in People Magazine, you were on Entertainment Tonight. That was what being a celebrity was. Mm-hmm. Now it's different. Yeah. I mean, the access that, I mean, that they have to fans now too, probably, I don't want to say gets in the way of your job, but I mean, I, I, I'm sure your industry has changed so drastically since people have been able to access their fan base like that through Instagram yeah. or whatever, Absolutely. but you guys have adapted. I have to say, I mean, um, you, you have managed to, I mean, you, when you think celebrity gossip in the U S you still think people. I think, you know, obviously our website is huge. Um, the number, the amount of traffic we get on that is phenomenal. Um, you know, we have a big team still that, um, you know, is just constantly churning out celebrity news. And the thing is, you know, um, my bosses are very big on us maintaining relationships with Mm -hmm. these celebrities and with their publicists. So, you know, generally speaking, you don't do a one and done with somebody. Um, you know, you interview them, then you follow up and you thank their publicist, you keep their publicists in mind and you send them a Christmas gift. And, you know, I have been known to send floral baskets and coffee baskets and whatever else baskets I have to send to people just so that they remember that, you know, I enjoyed being, you know, with you. I enjoyed this time with you um, and I'd love to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reality TV has changed a lot of things in the fact that um, there are people who are not famous. Let me rephrase it. There are people who are not famous for anything, but they're famous. And you have to maintain some sort of relationship with them. And you have to start very early in their career. Um, you know, we became very close to the Kardashian family when Kim Kardashian was just Paris Hilton's best friend. That is like, and I was, that was like, yeah the time yeah. when I was kind of following, I mean, you guys, like Perez Hilton, like all the gossip sites. Mm-hmm. And to witness that evolution is, is just insane. It really does typify the modern celebrity, her career right there. Right. 
Exactly. Give me all the scoop on Chris Jenner, by the way. <laughs> she is like, I mean, when is she going to be president? Because that chick could rule not only the country, I feel like she could keep the whole world in check. I'll tell you this. I'm trying to decide. I have a story with Chris Jenner and it's a good one. And I'm, I'm going to decide how much of it to censor as I tell you the story. Okay. So Chris Jenner was, um, Chris Jenner knows what she's doing. She is very, very good at what she does. And so at one point there was some information that she wanted to be out there. And so she contacted us and we ran the story. I wrote the story that she wanted to be out there. She was, you know, usually when we're like a source close to the couple, it's somebody like that. It's truly a source very close. Sometimes it's the celebrity themselves. Sometimes it's their publicist, you know. So anyway, she was the source and she did, she, ran so we run the story it's basically exactly what she told us and then she retweets our story with the caption something like lies 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 what it's brilliant she retweets the story so the story is certainly seen by a lot more people than it would have my my traffic went through the roof it was fantastic <laughs> but she distances herself from the story even though she was the source of the story, but she's perpetuating the story. And then if that wasn't enough, she retweeted it again. And it was like, People Magazine got it wrong. This is, you know, I don't want to get into it, but they got it wrong. So wait, what is the end game? I'm really trying, and this is proof. The end game is totally she got out the information that she wanted to get out. Oh, I see. She was not the source. Wait, it had to involve one of her kids. So what level of deception are we talking about? Like, because right, the family is the business. So yeah. I like, so yeah. do you think they all know what's going on? Like when Chris hits the airwaves or whatever, the, the internet, yeah. do the, they all know what's, what she's so you know what's going on. And here's the thing. I am not saying any of that to be salty about them. They figured out this game and they won it. They won this game. Here's my question. Say Kris Jenner had had a, a completely different set of kids. Could she make anybody famous? Like, is the talent in her and in her management of their known assets? Or, I didn't mean to use that word, but it's kind of a pun. Or is it, or, or do, is there something inherently unique about the dynamic of that family that makes it what it is? I, I think there's a mixture of that. I, I think, here's the thing. Kim is also, you know, Kim is, knows what she's doing. She's very, very savvy. And she was savvy from a young age. I don't know what year the Super Bowl was in Tampa, but I went over, no, yeah, it was Tampa. I went over there and interviewed Kim um, and asked her something like, how excited are you about the Super Bowl? And, you know, there's Super Bowl parties that start a couple days ahead of time and it goes, so I said, how excited are you? And she's like, oh, I'm actually not going to the Super Bowl because I scheduled something wrong. I have to fly back to LA to film a, a workout tape or whatever they used to call it back then. You know, I'm doing a workout tape. It's about, you know, exercising when you have a curvy body and she's telling me all about it. And as she walked away, I thought, okay, this is really smart. She came to a Super Bowl party, but she's not going to the Super Bowl. And so the story is, why is Kim Kardashian not going to the Super Bowl even though she's at the party? Because she has this tape that's due out in March. That's genius. And it's like, and as she walked away, I, I don't know if that was her. I don't know if that was her mom. I don't know who it was, but I was like, now I have to write a story that's basically a commercial for the workout for the curvy girl. Because you can't get around it now because you, you have to prove factually why she's leaving. Exactly. That and it's so 
genius. So, you know, I, a lot of people hate the Kardashians. I get it. I don't. I appreciate what they've been will, able to do. Um, and, you know, they have this goal of becoming A-listers and they got it. And they got it without anybody ever singing a single note, without anybody acting on a show or in a movie. They got it without any of that. It's insane. It's insane. And, you know, when she first came along, I was like, oh, okay, so this is Paris Hilton's friend. Well, they took what Paris Hilton, Paris Hilton was very successful in what she did for a couple of years there. Mm -hmm. But they've made this last for, what, 15 years now. It's a dynasty. It I mean, I, I my favorite game to play is which Kardashian Kardashian are you? And I my sister's always rolling her eyes. But anyway, it's it's they're just such a they're a cultural staple now, whether you like them or not. I personally have no problem with them either. I'm I, I continue to be fascinated by their dynamic, and that's what draws me to them. I have a sister, I have a big Italian family. So as a viewer, I relate on that level. You know, maybe I'm not doing the things they're doing or living the exact life that they are in LA, but you know, there are elements that that you so many people can relate to but oh, I mean, do you think they'll stick around for a while you know what 10 years ago i would have said no but here they are we still care and now kanye is involved in that's things. what i was going to say next what is how's kanye steve give me some good news i adore him I, I wish i had a lot of great news to give you about him obviously he's been very upfront about you know his struggles you know he's he's bipolar he's not afraid to tell you that. Um, and he has ups and downs and he's been going through a down. Let's just face it. <coughs> that was just a cough. That's not Corona. Um, so uh, just so you know. Luckily um, this is via Zoom. So we're all good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, he's he's been struggling of late, you know, uh, by next week, things can be on the upswing though with him. So, you know, it's going to be a lifelong thing that he deals with. And, you know, Kim has stood be, stood by him and has put up with an awful lot over the past few years. Um, and it is saying something that she is still there. She's not gone. Um, you know, we have heard that there are, there, there are issues right now with them, whether they'll, you know, two weeks from now, will those issues still be a thing? We don't know, but right now they're going through, uh, they're going through a tough, a tough patch, which everybody goes through at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, our best wishes are with him. Like you said, that's a, that transcends the celebrity gossip nature of it. So we wish him well. Okay. Let's talk. Oh my gosh. There's so much to talk about here. Crime, true crime, real scandal, all that stuff. You're in Orlando, as I said, so you have covered, I don't want to spend too, too much time on this because this is, um, gosh, this has been covered so widely, but the Casey Anthony trial, which we, when I was working local news live stream 24 seven, we, you were in, um, coverage from that from the beginning, right? Yes, I was, uh, Casey Anthony hadn't become national news when I got involved. Um, we were really desperate that week for something, anything to be happening. I remember that the cover story, at the time, the only thing we could think of for a cover story that we had was that Estelle Getty from the Golden Girls had died. So that's not a cover story. So we're trying to think, what can what's going on? And so I told my boss, I said, there's this, weird story like really right around the corner for me mm-hmm. about this little missing girl and so Casey Anthony you know the Kaylee Anthony disappearance and Casey Anthony's arrest and trial and all that just kind of became a thing we put it on the cover that first week it sold very well people were very interested in it 
And then Nancy Grace shows up and is doing round the clock coverage and calling her top mom. And suddenly it became huge. And the thing that was so huge about it was that every time you turned around, there was something new. There was this weird cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you would uncover secrets and lies and strange things. And it just, it was just a crazy, crazy story. And, you know, it took three years from the time that Kaylee disappeared to the time it went to trial. Mm-hmm. And during those three years, there was always something going on. Um, and then we had the trial and I sat in that trial every single, I didn't miss a day. Wow. I sat in that trial every single day um, and watched the goings on, watched the jurors, watched Casey, watched the judge, watched everybody. And it was just, it was a soap opera. Yeah, and, man, it was intense. I'm it, sure you got a different vibe being in the room with her too. I went one day, but the day I went, they they unexpectedly just called uh, called a recess. But what was it like being in the room with her? And did you sense, because I believe energy is real, any, any feelings of contrition or remorse, or even though she was declared not guilty, I, obviously for anyone who doesn't know that, did you sense anything energetically from her that indicated that there was any level of regret or sadness? I think by the time that she was at trial, um, what I sensed from her was fear. Um, It looked, everybody thought that she was going to be convicted. Everybody thought, except for a People Magazine writer. One of the highest points of my career was we did, this is what happened. The prosecution finishes their whole case. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, um, uh, you know, of course, I'm on Twitter at the time. And somebody tweeted, that's it. That's what they've got. And I did think, I thought, I wonder if the jury is feeling the same way. So we did a cover story that next week that was set, the the headline was getting away with murder, question mark, why the case against Casey Anthony may not stick. And I was, the publicist for People Magazine said, we have this great idea. We are going to debut this magazine we've booked you for an hour on Nancy Grace. Isn't this great? I'm like, no, that's not great. That's horrible. She's going to yell at me for an hour on that. TV, which <laughs> so did. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. And it's, I mean, we, we guessed it. We thought that she was going to be, she was going to be, she wasn't going to be convicted. We thought she was going to be um, acquitted and we, we were right. Uh, and, and, you know, pat myself on the back. I think that she should have been convicted. Yeah. You, do you think she did it for the record? This is where I've landed. I think she did something negligent and stupid and deadly and just wrong. And then she lied about it and we'll never know exactly what mm. she did or how she did it. It's crazy because you see now random stories will pop up and I'm sure you've gotten tips too, still being in the Orlando area, Casey Anthony sighting here and there. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, appears to have gotten on with her life. There's, of course, some lingering drama with her parents that we always that always kind of pops up. But um, it remains one of the biggest confusions of the of the criminal justice system. That, I mean, I can name a couple other trials too that happened locally and nationwide, of course. But it is one of those that people, I think, at large, just asked: Is there something that wrong with our justice system, or should we be glad we live in a world? where you need the hard evidence to prove. I mean, people were either in one camp or the other. Yeah, so my take on it is this, um, uh, and the prosecution will would hate to hear me say this, but 
they 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 blew it. Um, you know, they sat there and they their their theory was Casey Anthony made chloroform, chloroformed a child, her child died, you know, whatever. But they didn't have any proof that she bought the ingredients mm-hmm. to buy to make chloroform. They didn't even have proof that she knew what the formula to make chlor- chloroform is. You need those things. Right. And the, the defenses the defense said she drowned in the pool. They found her, they found the, you know, Kaylee drowned in the pool and then they buried her or whatever. Um, and so all the prosecution needed to do at that point was because one of the things that was on the table was aggravated child abuse. Mm-hmm. That was one of the charges. All they had to say in their closing arguments is if you find a child unresponsive, in, in your pool and you do not call 911 and you do not see if they can resuscitate that child, that's aggravated child abuse. So if you don't want to convict her for, for murder, aggravated child abuse is the way to go because that has been proven and that's even been admitted by the defense. That's what they had to say. Would that have carried any significant jail time based on your knowledge? Years. It's a 15 year sentence. Gosh, I mean, it is one of those things. I mean, we watched, we watched the verdict come out. We were like this. I mean, our jaws were just like, Ugh. like it, it, it's, it was such, um, it was just the whole world was invested in that. I have never had a, an experience like being in that courtroom and watching, eat, watching everybody's face as mm-hmm. she's being found not guilty. And, you know, we were on the 25th floor. I don't remember how big that yeah, was. Yeah, it was up there. Mm-hmm. 25th, 20 something floor. And there was a crowd of thousands of people down below and we could hear faintly through the window, the people down below uh, reacting to it. It was, it was, I, it gave me chills just to be there because it was, it was the most intense thing I think I've ever experienced in my career. And I've experienced a lot of great intense things. Gosh. Yeah. Let's, I mean, I I would do want to run through just like a couple of the crazy true crime things you have covered, not only on murder, maybe famous, but scandal, maybe famous. I mean, people talk, I mean, you, you, you're, you're, hands are in sort of all different um, areas of this type of journalism. So run us through some other like crazy things that you've worked on. Natalie Holloway's disappearance in Aruba, the Lacey Peterson murder in uh, Modesta, California. Yes. Um, Oh gosh, it just, Jody Arias uh, murder out in in, um, Arizona. Um, I have done, uh, interviewed Pamela Smart, um, who was, if you remember Nicole Kidman's movie To Die For, it was based on Pamela Smart's movie, uh, uh, crime, criminal case. I went up there, interviewed her in jail. Um, gosh, it's just, it goes on and on and on. Uh, I worked on the, um, if you saw Making a Murderer, um, you know, that case with Stephen Avery. I worked on um, uh, the Robert Durst murder trial. I, I go all the way back to, um, uh, you know, I have interviewed John Bobbitt. Remember John Bobbitt? Who got it cut how's off? He, how's yeah. he feeling these days? It, it was put back on and apparently it works. Listen, okay. but, uh, I'll take your word for it on that. Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. You know, I've been very fortunate to have a remarkable line of, or, you know, succession of big things that I've been fortunate enough to work on. Um, you know, but I'm always kind of looking for the next one. It's just, and I'm not even the next time, but what's the next story? What's the next thing that everybody's going to be talking about? 
Yeah. I mean, I came at it from a different angle being on the news side of things, but um, I, I personally feel like it always shocked me when people had a fascination with true crime because when it's your job to, I mean, all we're doing really is not all, but you know, we're reading stories about or reading police reports, but when you are repetitively talking about the ills of society, it really, after a point, especially after becoming a parent, rankled me. And I would just like get angry. I'm like, God, why isn't this person in jail? Or, I mean, it really got to me. So it was always fascinating to me how true crime has become such a cottage industry of media because it is based on real things that are happening to real people. What have you learned about the psychology of our obsession with these types of things? It's really weird. Um, you know, the Casey Anthony one was very personal to me because it was so local, but also because um, you know, at the time, at the time we're going through trial, let's say that was 2011. So my daughter was four at that time. My daughter wasn't very, it was a year different from, from how old Kaylee would have been. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, it was very weird to go and see all this horrible stuff, to see autopsy pictures, to see all of this, this stuff, and then come home to my daughter. And at the time my son was, was a baby, it was a toddler, you know, and just be around my living breathing children who I love more than anything. Um, it was very weird. Um, it was very, it was actually the, during the, the, the trial of Casey Anthony, that was a very difficult time because I was working long hours and I was exhausted and then trying to make time to come back to be around my children who, um, you know, I missed very much while I was doing it. You know, it was, um, I, I was, driving home at lunchtime just to see them for five minutes um, because I needed something to take my mind off of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, there's podcasts entirely dedicated to, you know, crime and, and all that stuff. And um, I don't know, I just, you, you cover it with, you cover it with compassion and, and grace. And there's something to be said for that because I did try. To, yeah. I mean, you know, um, these are people, uh, and, you know, they are, people who didn't ask for the spotlight. I mean, it's one thing for us to all snicker about the last thing Madonna did because she's chosen this life. Right. You know, it, these crime cases, they don't choose this. It just happens to them, yeah. you know, in some way. especially, I'm not even talking about the, the murderer themselves, but their family and their yes. victim's family. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's heavy stuff. I want to switch gears and talk Tiger Woods before we go, because <laughs> I could talk to you all day, but this is one thing too, that was a huge story. It was like, what Thanksgiving, we all got called into the station. And I'm like, what is happening here? And then as it was unfolding, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is huge. So where were you when that broke? And what are your thoughts on how that whole thing unraveled? Well, I was hanging my Christmas lights um, <laughs> on the, I guess it was was it was either on Black Friday or it was the Saturday afterwards? I don't remember. It was when. right around Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah, well, right. So the day after, yeah, Black Friday. The, the car day accident after. happened on Black Friday, early Black, Black, Black yes, Friday. Yes, you're right. You're right. From Thanksgiving night I, into that morning, I think. I don't remember if we uh, it became a big thing for us then or the next day. I just don't remember when it did. But you know, I left my Christmas lights halfway up, and suddenly it was in this big story which sounds like something very little. I mean, it's, it's Tiger Woods gets in a, a car accident. He'll, he's going to be okay. That's what we, you know, but we had heard the rumors about affairs and things like that. And then suddenly this just became huge. Like all these women came forward. Um, I did write a book about it um, that was called Tiger, the real story. 
And it was a New York Times bestseller and it hit the bestselling list in 15 different countries. People wanted to know about it. Um, But at the end of the day, the story was, okay, a rich young athlete likes to have sex. He's a sex addict. Was how how early into the story was that thrown out there? Right, because I that was sex like addict came out a month later. I think okay. it was a I mean, because here's the thing: at first it was one woman, then it was two, then it was five, then it was eleven, and so at some point, as these women are coming forward, and they all had varying degrees of believability. Like some of them, you're like, okay, she's got her receipts. Mm-hmm. She did it. Others, like you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was a one-time fling, you know, that happens. I don't know. So the bottom line is that it it did become a big story. And it, you know, it was timeline-wise, it felt it happened right in the middle of um of the Casey Anthony case. So I was kind of switching gears from one to the other. And then the Haiti earthquake happened. And Which so was also I, personally significant eventually yeah, to you. Where I adopted four of my kids from there. Right. But, um, um, you know, so I was dealing with Casey Anthony. This Tiger Woods thing happens. Then I'm sent to Haiti. I'm trying to report on Tiger Woods from Haiti, which is hard. And then that's when my book deal came through. So this was, I look at this time as the period of my life where I didn't sleep. But I was also younger and I could do it then. I couldn't handle that now. Oh, that's intense. Oh my gosh, juggling so much. Is there anything as a final kind of bow on this topic that you learned about Tiger in your research for the book that would surprise anyone? People wanted to be angry at him because of what he did. And they felt confused as to whether or not the sex addict, I don't want to say excuse, but I'm using that term just sort of flippantly, was like the real reason behind it. But like, what did you learn in your research for the book that surprised you? I think that what I learned was Tiger had people around him who um, created an image for him. And it wasn't an accurate image. It just wasn't accurate. And that's okay that it wasn't accurate, but um, they did him a disservice. Um, You know, if Tiger hadn't been painted as a Boy Scout for 13 years before this, you know, okay, thinking of other, other, athletes at the time, if Dennis Rodman had gotten caught having sex with all these women, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. But they made Tiger into something that he really wasn't. Tiger was trying to, he enjoyed the company of these women. And, you know, um, you know, they, granted, you shouldn't do that when you're married and monogamous, unless there's some sort of agreement, which there clearly wasn't in their case. Um, But, you know, I think um, what I learned is that if you try to be somebody that you're not publicly, um, that is going to come back to haunt you someday. And it's much better just, you know, and look, this has been a lifelong lesson for me in general. Honesty is the best policy, which is hard for me sometimes because I don't, I don't want everybody to know everything about me. But you know what? It's better if you're just like, this is who I am. This is, this is what I do. And if you do that, people are much more forgiving than if you lie about it and they catch you in a lie. That's so true. I feel like that is perfect advice to end on because that is applicable whether you are an accountant, just living your life in your little, you know, corner of the world or someone who's on social media. I mean, that's, that's good advice. Yeah. And uh, yeah. mean, look, I've learned that one the hard way. And that's yeah. why probably when you look at my Instagram, you're like, you know, I, I, 
it's not all sunshine and roses. That's so. same here. Listen, I'm a big fan. I always say, if you're coming to my page for inspiration, you're, you're going to be sorely disappointed. One day I'll get the hang of like color schemes and like grid patterns. But right now it's just a total. Well, I'll talk to you about that because I, I have some thoughts. Uh. <laughs> I'm eagerly awaiting your notes. Yes, I can. Uh, there's just so, there's so much to worry about with social media. That's a whole different thing. Steve, you are like, I, I'm seriously so grateful that you gave me some of your oh, time today yeah, because great. I'm a huge fan. So tell us where we can find you, any upcoming projects you want us to tune into as well. Sure. My name is Steve Helling, H-E-L-L-I-N-G. So just, you search that on Twitter and Instagram and you find me. That's where I kind of announce everything. I have a website that I, that's stevehelling.com that needs to be updated. And then um, I am uh, going to be on uh, a show on Justice with Ashley Banfield on Court TV. It premieres in September. And hopefully there will be another show, which we're talking about, that will happen in the, in the new year that will actually have my name on it. Oh, great. Oh, my goodness. When that happens, can I have you back on? Absolutely. Oh, no. awesome. You are the best, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sonia. This is great. Bye. Oh my gosh, I'm recording this quickly because our landscapers are about to start and they are literally 10 feet from this microphone. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. How amazing is Steve? I feel like I could have um, gossiped with him for hours and I would love to bring him back on the show. So I will make sure we do that. Um, follow Steve on Instagram at Steve Helling, H-E-L-L-I-N-G and check out his website to get more information on the debut of his new show. That's stevehelling.com. I'm on Instagram at Sunny Abada. Also just did a massive website and blog refresh. So a totally new aesthetic on sunny.be. Check it out. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I'm going to go because there's weed whackers that are right outside the window. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of 30-something. And big things are coming on this show in the next couple of weeks. So stick around. Thanks, guys, for listening. See you next time.